0: Live. Hey everyone, welcome to the Ludini Rock and Roll Circus. My name is Lou Lombardi, A.K.A. Ludini, and uh, I have a great, amazing musician uh, on the on the phone with us today. I'm really excited to talk to him, uh, Larry Coriel, uh considered by a lot of people to be the uh, like the godfather of uh, jazz fusion, and uh, just an amazing uh, musician. He's influenced so many of the uh, uh, great Taurus. Uh, that have uh, come after, and he uh, just he has an amazing career, so we 're really excited to talk to Larry first before we do that. just like to give you a little information. You are listening to the ludini rock and roll circus uh, that is ludini rock and roll dot com uh, every Tuesday and every thursday there 's a new interview, and every saturday there 's a brand new music podcast where Katie and I play. Uh, a lot of the great artists that you're uh, that you're hearing here on the Ludini Rock and Roll Circus. Uh, before we go too much farther, I'd like to thank my sponsor, Positively Pittsburgh Live Magazine, uh, that is pplmag.com. Uh, Pittsburgh's first internet radio, TV network, online community magazine, and business directory. You can get all kind of great uh, information there. There's audio and video uh, with uh, coupons and articles and a lot of great information from health and fitness. Uh, how to run your business and marketing a lot of great stuff there you need to start your own magazine page and publish your own articles and upload your own audio and video like we've been doing that's what we do there with the podcast so go to that uh pplmag.com they get about a million unique visitors each month it's a great place to be seen and heard all right guys uh and i don't want to wait too long because i've really been dying to talk to larry uh larry like i was uh, larry is uh uh, born uh, way down there in the uh, great state of Texas, but he's been everywhere, all over the world. Played with uh, the likes of Chick Corea, Paco de Luca, John McLaughlin, and, and a gazillion other people. So, uh, Larry uh, Correa, welcome to the Ludini Rock and Roll Circus.
1: Thank you. It's an honor to be on your show.
2: <laughs> Thanks.
0: So, so why don't you uh, take us back? Because we had this like amazing. Uh, you know, you've been doing all this amazing work all these years. How did you get bit by the music bug in the first place? Like, what made you go like, yeah, this is this is what I want to do?
1: Well, uh, Lou, early on in life as I was growing up in a very rural area, was even more out in the sticks than Pittsburgh is. <laughs>
2: uh,
1: I mean, really out in the sticks. I, I happened to walk into a, a lounge and I heard... Um the father of a classmate of mine i, I was in a little band with with the, that classmate who played keyboards, but then I heard his dad and his dad was playing a song called laura and and had all these chord changes and you know i was I was hip to rock and roll and rock and roll and Elvis was just emerging, et cetera et cetera but um i asked... uh Mr. Eshelby, that was his name, if you could play the chords to Laura for me. And of course he did. And I was just, I was enraptured because I loved the the harmonic movement. And uh, I've always enjoyed that. uh, The beauty of jazz, which combines the harmonic complexity of European tradition with, the African-American con- con- tradition of blues and rhythm, which combines to make this music that's very intelligent, but yet even to those who hear it, if they're not well-schooled in the European taste, they can still enjoy it because of the the way it feels. Oh, it's America's only indigenous art form. Yes,
0: and and I've uh, and I've heard and a lot of other uh, jazz musicians have have explained it exactly that way as well. Um, so you heard this music, you got a, it. it do you were you say you were playing guitar at this point, or you had to pick yeah, up? Yeah, I was yet? just
1: a fledged, fledgling guitarist. I had a Stratocaster. We were playing stuff by Buddy Knox and Elvis. You know. Yeah. Just just kids way out in the stick. I didn't, I, was, I didn't really get much more exposed to sophistication other than that experience I just shared with you until my freshman year in college. And I was in an R&B band, an R&B band that modeled itself after a local band in Seattle, which was, and, and they played in the club on... Uh, in, it's a little bit like Side, the Shadyside neighborhood of Pittsburgh. We would go to this club, and hear this band, and we all just lost it. We loved it so much. It was a combination of Ray Charles and Chuck Berry. Okay. And lots And again, lots of chords. We like those chords.
0: Um. So, uh, who were the, some of the? You know, because obviously at this point you're listening to records, you're seeking out new music. Who were some of the guitarists? that uh, once you did discover jazz and get excited about it, that that you sought out or that you found uh, to be uh, very uh, inspirational to you? Charlie
1: Christian.
2: Charlie Christian? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Charlie
1: Christian, George Benson, Wes Montgomery. George came through town. He was the same age as me. He was like, George is actually like 17 or 18 days older than me.
2: And he was playing
1: playing with Jack McDuff, and he was so good at the age of 22. I mean, just so good. I was was blown away. But the thing is, George got even better. He got better and better, especially after he he settled in New York, and then none of the big commercial hits he had ever affected his jazz playing. He He is. Well, Lenny White says it best. You know Lenny White? Right. George is the best. I, mean, I agree, the best um, the, best bebop guitar player. So, so oh, he's better, You
0: you think George? You prefer George over Charlie Christian's bebop playing?
1: No, I love both of them. But George is still <laughs> around. I also, I love I love John Schofield. Oh yeah! Wow. Yeah, John Schofield is so aris- you always know it's John just by yeah. the sound. Just yeah. he's got sound.
0: a very distinctive tone. Um. So, so West Montgomery and Charlie Christian, like a lot of people, like like one or the other. They prefer one over the other. Um, could you take first just in a few sentences compare and contrast Wes Montgomery with Charlie Christian?
1: Well, it's different, situ- slightly different situations, Lou.
2: Hmm.
1: Charlie Christian died at the age of 23 or something like that. Three yeah. He, he was doing a gig. He was sweating. He came outside. It was cold. He got. Pneumonia, and it turned into tuberculosis. We lost we lost our greatest genius at yeah. the time. George, Wes Montgomery, he learned his playing by listening to Charlie Christian on the radio. So Wes just took what Charlie was doing and, and added his own unique touch to it, and that was his extended chord work and his octaves on the... I mean, you just listen to "Road Song," simple composition by Montgomery You listen to "Road Song," and at, at least when I hear it, I fall on the floor with, <laughs> with appreciation and inspiration. Do you remember Emily Remler? The, the oh label? yes,
0: yes, well, I saw I saw <laughs> Emily play uh, uh, in the in the sometime in the uh, mid '80s. I saw I only saw her one time.
1: But she ended her days. she was living in Pittsburgh.
0: Right, that's where I saw
1: her. <laughs> and we'd be driving, before that, when we were living in the New York area, we'd be driving around and Wes would come on and she would go crazy. Yeah. She would just go, she'd scream and whoop and yell. I mean, that's how West affected uh, people who have the ability to hear music like that.
0: You're playing... I mean, while you do obviously are a total monster on the tra- very traditional uh, type of jazz playing and also classical playing, and um, you also, your sound, especially kind of out of the box there, as we got to know you when you first came out, as was just sort of this one of these jazz fusion, sort of jazz rock fusion guys like John McLaughlin, Um was that something that because Wes Montgomery was doing pop stuff, you felt more comfortable, like, you know, I can play, I can bring in, you know, pop, rock sort of sounds into into jazz, or, or was it was it just a completely, how how did you end up becoming, get, getting into that uh, scene?
1: Well, it wasn't because of um, Wes going into the pop scene. Okay. I, I can't speak for John, but I would imagine John had the same feelings I had about trying to infuse jazz with more, more ideas from the avant-garde. That's really what it was for me.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I wanted to put more phrases and ideas that were, that were being played around New York by avant-garde players who did not play uh, stock phrases. They didn't play the clichés.
0: So this was a just like hey I want to do something different I want to take take music, uh, in a in a new direction and you sort of you found some other people because you uh, you worked with a, a lot of I mean like amazing uh, musicians, uh, in the in the early days who were some of the who were some of the uh, first guys you started you got together with and started to create this sound with.
1: Um, well, people I listened to were. I'll just tell you, everybody, I listened a lot to Jim Hall, Mose Allison. Those are more straight-ahead players, but then I was listening listening to early Gato Barbieri when he was playing Avant-Garde and Albert Eiler and a drummer named Barry Altschul, and, of course, a, a great drummer named Bobby Moses and a great tenor player named Jim Pepper. And all of these people were doing, with the exception of Mose and Jim, who were who were more straight ahead all these other people were playing different ideas they didn't want to play any cliches
0: well music had changed again I mean it had gone from I mean because jazz evolved from uh, 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 the New Orleans uh, Dixieland you know through swing and uh, to through bebop cool you know and so the, did you see this as just sort of a natural progression The musicians always seem to want to push it like they always want to do Let's take it in a new direction. Was, it, was that the sort of the vibe at the time?
1: Well, in, in New York in '65 and '66, on into '67, I would even say we had to play different because our mentors wouldn't let us do otherwise. Our mentors all told us, "Stop copying the all, stop copying, copying the styles of the established players. You
2: mm-hmm. know,
1: you're not you're not going to get any gigs doing that. We all we already have somebody who can play like Westmontum." West Montgomery.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: we already have somebody who can play like Kyle Farlow. Kyle Farlow. Right. You have to find your own voice. And that I think that's what John was doing. The first time I heard John was with the Tony Williams Lifetime at Count Basie's in Harlem. And he was playing with Larry Young on the organ, who, I, who was a dear friend of mine. I loved Larry Young. And Tony Williams was trying to go off in a different direction, and John was perfect for that. And uh, I, heard, I was there with my wife we went and heard the, the uh, world premiere of the Tony Williams Lifetime, and I went home. We drove across, back across the river. We were living in Nyack, New York. And I stayed up all night trying to remember what John had played.
2: <laughs>
1: I stayed up all night. And, if, you know, if you stick with it long enough, you can remember this stuff. Yeah Oh yeah, okay, there's a chromatic in here. Oh okay, okay. Kind of a reverse finger in there, uh you know, that kind of stuff. But I'll tell you what's really interesting. When I, I once had a radio show in nineteen eighty eight and I had George Benson on the radio show. And when we were preparing for the radio show, I was at George's house, the one the one that's got a couple of rivers running through it, and he um, he took me into this back room, and he, and he said, do not walk in front of me and see what I'm doing. He had a, had a guitar set up, and he turned his back to me, and he started playing, and he sounded exactly like Ravi Shankar.
2: <laughs>
1: it was like a ghost. All of a sudden, Ravi Shankar was playing the guitar, and he had the, 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 the glissangos and the bending and the sliding, and He never told me what tattooing was. <laughs> that's, was what that I, that's, what, that's what I like about George, man. He is, he, is, and he was already a trillionaire at that time in his life. Yeah, he still was was forging ahead creatively. He was right. None of that stuff was commercial. George knew how to be commercial. Just look at you know all the songs. and he, he, he can sing tenderly and make a million bucks. You know, in one fell swoop. Did I have yeah. to tell you about the time of George? There was a big riot at a jazz festival in France at the end of a tour in '67. Caravan was on it, but the Gary Burton quartet was on it, and they, the people, in the, half the people in the audience hated us, and the other half, half liked us, and everybody was upset after the gig. So George comes up onto the stage, everybody's going home, and says, just for the heck of it, George Wayne was there, uh, just name a singer, I'll sing just like her, and I said, Sarah Bowen. So he started singing exactly like Sarah Bowen.
0: Oh, gee, oh, my God.
1: And then I said, can you sing like Stevie Wonder? Then he started singing exactly like Stevie Wonder. So what about, what about Elephant Sterling? He started singing exactly like Elephant Sterling. And George... Talk about pure, I mean, George, the talent that George possessed and still possesses to this day, there's only one other cat that I can think of that that talented, and that's Bobby McSheron. Yeah, Bobby, yeah. Bobby McSheron, that level of talent that, that he has um, comes along once every five or six generations in life. I did a few, I, I jammed with Bobby early on when he was beginning his career, and I couldn't believe what I couldn't believe what this cat can do.
0: <laughs> I mean, what he can do with his voice is—I mean, not only can he sound like any kind of singer, he can sound like a lot of different instruments too. I mean, that's exactly.
2: that, that's a whole
0: that's a whole other thing. Um, before we get uh, too far into, into everything else, I'd like to uh take a little uh break here and play something off your latest uh record and I'd like to come back and talk about uh what you have going on right now what is happening in 2016 and onwards uh for Larry Corio. So uh this is a track off of your uh last record called Heavy Feel and we're going to play the title track Heavy Feel and then we're going to we're going to come back. All right? You yeah. got all right. Hey, guys, you're listening to the Loudini Rock and Roll Circus. We've got Larry Correo on the line here. This is uh, off his latest album called Heavy Feel. This is the title track, Heavy Feel, on the Ludini Rock and Roll Circus. Okay, Larry. Now, that is a that is a bit of a departure from <laughs> from Bebop there. Um, oh, yeah. But you, yeah. So tell us a little bit about, like, what's going on now? What's happening now with jazz and what's happening with you in the scene?
1: Well, in my opinion, and you have to give me your opinion if it's different from mine. Everything is, what's the word, not solidified, um, is settled. It's pretty much settled into bebop, post-bop. That's that's what most of the jazz radio stations like to play. They don't play any avant-garde. They don't play anything that takes chances. And uh, maybe it's because the that poor audience for straight-ahead jazz—they're all in their 60s and 70s and 80s, and that's probably what they want to hear. They want to hear something that's familiar, right. much like when I moved to Florida 15 years ago or whatever it was. All the old people got crazy when the Glenn Miller Ghost Band would come through. So, you know, they want to play stuff that reminds—they want to hear stuff that reminds them of their younger days. Uh-huh. That doesn't apply to me. Knew I was going to say that, don't you?
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: I I, I could feel that.
2: You're so, looking forward. It sounds
0: to me like you were like, let's let's do the next thing. Let's make the next thing happen.
2: Well, here's what I've
1: done. Um, I wrote an opera in 2010, and it had jazz playing. I had jazz interludes interspersed between the arias, and we finally got it. I finally got it. Uh, Um, performed in Slovenia in December of 2014. And then there was another performance in Russia the following spring. And then I wrote another opera. The first opera was based on Tolstoy's War and Peace. Okay. And the new opera, which will be premiered in May, the end of May in, out in the countryside in Russia, is based on Anna Karenina. So that's one thing I'm doing. The other thing I'm doing I just made a, a Larry Coriel record with you know who Lee Pearson is, from up in Baltimore?
0: Uh i yeah. I know who we I've heard the name, of course. We ran
1: in he was playing with Sting and Chris Bodie in Indonesia okay. earlier this year. We went we jammed together after hours and said, Let's let's, let's play together and we did. I set up a record date, brought them out and I got two guys uh well, one one guy and one gal from uh, who lived near me in Florida, uh, a saxophone player named uh, Dan Jordan and a wonderful pianist named Lynn Arielle, and we, I brought down the great John Lee, who is now the leader of the Disney Galveston Ghost Band, and it's also, John just played three da- nights ago at a big fun music for Hillary Clinton. He sent me pictures saying, Kill and Hillary,
2: yeah!
1: <laughs> <laughs> a great bassist like John Lee. Um, we made a beautiful record. And it's called Barefoot Man, colon, San Baku.
0: And that's coming out...
1: I don't when? know when that's coming out. Okay. Up, up to the record company, but I think it's a good record. The other record that was we made, we reformed the fusion band, The Eleventh House.
2: I
0: know, I'm really excited, because that was like one of my when I started to got introduced to jazz, to jazz, my te- my guitar teacher introduced it to me through the jazz rock thing because he knew I was a rock player. So I like, so he kind of got me into it. And I went back and found, you know, we went back and learned Charlie Christian and you know all the older guys like that. But uh, yeah, so when I, I read that in your bio that Eleventh House was going to do something, so go ahead, tell us about this. Well, that
1: record comes. That's that's mostly original members except the keyboard player. Can't he's too old and just too many health problems. So I got my youngest son to to perform the keyboard parts, only he's a guitarist with a lot of pedals, so it sounds like a keyboard.
2: (laughs) With a lot of pedals, okay. And, uh,
1: you know, the younger generation.
2: Oh, these kids.
1: (laughs) Mission mission control at your feet. (laughs) So Randy Brecker, Alphonse Luzon, myself, my my youngest son, Julian, and the great John Lee, I'm hoping John says something to, 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 to Arisa. He's working with Arisa Franklin now. Okay. I know he's a honky, but bring Larry in here to play a little punk.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Listen, I want to I talk and bring up a
0: couple of things that you kind of glossed over. Um, when you get together and you say, well, we got together and jammed, you mentioned that. Who, what do you do? Are, do you guys sit down and play like real book tunes? Or no. you just kind of just... Somebody just start playing and see what happens.
1: A combination of playing tunes that we'd like.
2: Uh-huh.
1: Many of which might be in the real book. And remember, most of the changes in the real real book are not correct. Well, I know. I know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Stanley Clark told me that years ago. He said, if you really want the right changes, buy the sheet music, the original sheet music. Yeah. I mean... uh, I mean, I've been so fortunate. I, I can sit, sit here and have a casual conversation about my experience with giants like Bobby McFerrin, uh, uh, Stanley Clark. You know, I still want to play some I still want to play with Keith Jarrett. I would love to play with Keith Jarrett, and I want to do some more stuff with Chick Maria.
0: Um is is anything in the works with, with Keith, uh Jared or Chick Korea or is that just yes. like something you still oh so there so is I'm gonna
1: I'm going Because i am Chick and I both live near each other in Florida and we he's gonna do a special event, a kind of a teaching event in October. I believe it's twelfth, and I'm gonna be the invited
2: guest. Yeah? No. I mean, nobody
1: nobody can go play like Chick.
0: Oh no no! I I saw a Chick uh, a couple of years ago. Frank Gambell, Frank Gambelli was uh, in the band, and which brings me up, I wanted to talk, ask you to kind of maybe could you talk about a couple of players or some current players that you think are like that you that you just that you really like.
1: Well, Frank's great.
2: Yeah, he's monstrous.
1: That sweet picking that he does is fantastic, and I love Kirk Rosenwinkel. Kurt Rourke, was fantastic. But, you know, I'm not that... Okay, I'm a died in the world guitar player and guitar fan, but I'm more focused now on composition. And, mm-hmm. I'm also writing... I'm I'm using guitar in a different way. I want to get five... I want to get five guitars into the studio and play an arrangement I wrote of The Rite of Spring.
0: Ah. Uh, ah, uh, that would be interesting. I heard but, you play a little bit of that... I was watching a video, an interview on from you, of yours for a few years from like several years ago on some kind of public TV thing. You were being interviewed. and You played a little bit of that. You're playing a twelve
1: yeah. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, but but the, the, the full the full piece is about thirty or forty minutes long. Right. Mm-hmm. And we 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 may improvise on it. I'm not sure.
0: Now wait a minute. Isn't that kind of blasphemy to improvise over a classical piece? Who cares? <laughs>
1: I mean, I mean, if you listen, if you know the Bride of the Spring, In and Out, both parts, Part One, Part Two, a lot of it sounds like he's improvising already. <laughs> you know, there, there's there's a lead part that's uh, it's right in the uh, adoration of the Earth, thing, the beginning, all this bubbling, trilling. I mean, it could easily be Eric. They could have just pointed to Eric Dolphy and said, "Go."
2: <laughs> okay. The really, right.
1: the really great jazz musicians. There's another one: Eric Dolphy, Charles Mingus. These guys were were classical virtuosos as well. Yeah. Look at Fables de Fabus. Really examine that composition. It's very much like Bartok or Stravinsky. That's not that's no blues. Yeah.
2: That's, that's right. Not, uh, some simple booze there.
1: English is deep.
0: You so, is deep. Do you, are, do you see, I mean, are are we going to see a move? Uh, because I understand what we were talking about a few minutes ago, where there's like older folks still want to hear, you know, that's there's a certain set of tunes and music and artists that they just really kind of gravitate to. But I mean, that isn't going to be around forever, obviously. So, are no. we going to see those? Is it going to grow? Are we? Is jazz going to? Are we going to? You know, maybe see a, a resurgence. Just kind of give us your uh, thing. Uh, the, the future. You're just it's your de- best.
1: It's definitely going to grow. Mm-hmm. Especially when 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 it's in the hands of people that I just mentioned, like Kurt Rosenwinkel. I saw him take in a take a a tricky piece by Benny Golson. Along Came Betty. Mm-hmm. and and t- completely trichotize it in another way. He took it, he took something complex, and did another complex thing that was a tribute to it, using it, referring to it. I mean, that's what I like. I like that very much. I like what Jack is doing. You know, his new record is all piano.
2: it's just going play piano. Yeah,
1: Jack is a great piano player. Guys like jack guys like Kurt, you know chick is an innovator actually gary burton is still is, is still churning churning out uh, uh vibes guitar bass drums um quartets very original you know, gary, now, never, gary never dropped the ball
0: okay so let's let's uh before we uh uh uh, as we start to kind of like wind down a little bit here, tell me uh, one thing I want to ask you because you talked about your your focus on composition. Um, what? How do you do it? What is your sort of like you know? How, how do you sit down and say, okay, I want to do? do You have an idea? I want to make a piece that that has this, this type of time signature or that? switches so which is the time signature? Do you or you have a set of chords that you want to? I mean, how does it? Well, how does it? What's the germ of it? How does it get started?
1: It for me. Everybody's different. Everybody's right, different. for you, I understand for, that. For me, I start by looking at compositions that I like. Okay. Especially Debussy, Ravel, Hindemith, and of course Stravinsky. And for opera, I love the Bellini, uh, Verdi, and Puccini. Also, my favorite non-jazz singer will always be Maria Callas. He was the best. Okay. So you start um, by
0: thinking of, you're thinking of something, you're listening to something, and what you get inspired
1: to... Yeah, I will listen, I'll listen, I'll listen to the finale of The Firebird by Stravinsky.
2: Okay. Which is,
1: in my mind, just my, my insignificant, humble point of view, the greatest finale ever written in all of music. It's not overbearing, but it's, Lovingly demanding, and it goes into seven beats per measure, but you don't feel it like that. It's just—it's a sheer work of genius, and it was composed in the, you know, second decade of the twentieth century. I mean, that's wow. Yeah. You, you, you gotta, you gotta hand it to Stravinsky. You gotta hand it to him I—I I mean, it's—you know—I saw Barbara Streisand last week. And she was talking about Anthony Newley and the roar of the grease paint, smell of the crowd, that Broadway show.
2: And she talked about
1: her experience with him. And then she sang a digital... They had him up on screen. And they, you know, through the magic of electronics, they sang together. Okay. And they sang, Who Can I Turn To? And I cried. That is... The marriage of great singing and a great composition. I think that's so important. The most perfect Rodgers and hardcore progression, to me, always will sound good. All the things you are. It's perfectly symmetrical. Yeah. And then I, I, I study all these classical compositions, like I was talking about
2: Hindemith.
1: I love Tchaikovsky. You know, I I, I love Prokofiev. Crazy about Prokofiev, and I just heard a piece by Bach here in Chicago that just kills me. So I pay attention to all that, and then I sit down and I try to write something that's not that, but I'm inspired by it.
2: Right, and
1: okay. it, it, it works every time. <laughs> it sure does, of course it does. Know, so, I, I uh, wrote uh, I wrote War and Peace in two weeks. I, I sat down for two weeks. He wrote the whole thing. It, I just channeled Tolstoy and just came right on.
0: So you were inspired by the the, the the novel, and you had some ideas about music from other composers, and you were able to put it together quickly. I mean, that's well, pretty quick to put right in opera.
1: I know. <laughs> in two weeks. <laughs> what, what really inspired me was the fact that Tolstoy's whole point of that novel, the, the moral of the story, is we all must... Try for unconditional forgiveness, which, in my opinion, is the hardest, most difficult thing for a human being to do.
2: Yeah. But we
1: must achieve this if we are going to save our our race, our human race. We must achieve this. We must find a way to do our own human revolution so we can reach a point where we can forgive unconditionally that's the genius of tolstoy
2: and it's something that i think
0: well, we should uh, of course you know we we all need to learn to live by uh yeah. but just like you said it's very difficult um any uh before we roll out of here larry uh, any parting uh thoughts anything at all that you want to say that you want to kind of get out there that you want to talk about before we uh before we uh wrap things up and I also want to plug your website so people know what's going on thank you
1: uh, I think we covered everything, Lou. I mean, I, <laughs> I'm just, uh, I'm just coming kind of off of a very. Uh, I had a problem. I had a sinus operation at the beginning of June. There were complications. Hospitalized for quite a while, and the reason actually I'm calling you from Chicago is because I'm convalescing up here with uh, staying with my brother. And I'm back about eighty-five, ninety percent. I'm going to do do a little good tomorrow. Um. We? Okay. But well, we?
0: I'm glad that you're. I'm glad you're feeling better. I did see on social media that you did have a little health oh,
1: thing man, there. It was, it was serious. I almost died twice. Oh, jeez. But I'm okay now. So once that's over with, then, um, you know, I lost a lot of bread because, was, you know, had to cancel a whole bunch of high-paying gigs. So yeah. How many times in my life have I? Blown a lot of money, but, then made it back. <laughs> blown it again, make it back. You know, I'm a jazz musician. I, it's the music that comes first.
2: Mine's
1: right. nice, you know.
2: Yeah. But
1: if, you, if you're a jazz musician and you're loyal to your ideal of the music and how to improvise, it really doesn't matter. The things that you need will come to you because of the causes you make as an artist.
0: Uh, that's a beautiful uh, comment there, and we're going to kind of leave it on that, Larry. Um, thanks so much, guys. If you want to check out what Larry has going on, uh, you want to go to his website. That is Larry, uh, Coriel.net. uh Coriel, in case you don't know, C-O-R-Y-E-L-L.net. Uh, and uh, this man is doing, like, amazing stuff still all, constantly every day. Was, you just heard him talk about it. So uh, go to net and uh check out everything he's got going on. Uh, I'm really looking forward to your new record, Larry, and the new 11th house. You got it. I love that you you and Randy Brecker you guys would play the lines together with the electric guitar and uh, t- uh, that just that just knocked that just knocks my socks off, man. Yeah, I'm like, really to, excited about that.
1: Wait did you hear Randy's composition The Silly Flash? <laughs> Cool. it's a killer competition.
0: Awesome. Well, Larry, you have a. a, a you take care, buddy. And uh, well, you have a gig tomorrow night.
1: Oh, no, I'm just. I'm going to join my brother at his Buddhist uh, family oh. day and and play a half an hour of coons just to get to see if I can still play. <laughs> okay, I'm sure you can still play. Well, you you have a, a
0: good time with that, man. We wish you all the best and uh, thank you so much. Okay.
2: You got it. All right, Larry. Thank you. You're welcome. Bye-bye. No, bye. Hey, guys. Uh, you've been listening to my talk with Larry Coriel. Uh Go to
0: Uh Larry, a uh, very gracious man. I'm <laughs> truly really grateful uh, to get to talk to him. Uh, being a guitarist myself, uh, just a, a huge uh, – just his, his playing is just – gives me shivers i just absolutely love it and um i hope you guys do too uh this is uh, the ludini rock and roll circus uh, ludini rock and roll circus.com uh one more shout out to our sponsor positively pittsburgh live magazine pplmag.com and if you'd like to help out uh the ludini rock and roll circus get the word out of my great musicians like larry although larry probably needs too much help from us at this point
2: um
0: uh, you want to go to supportindierock.com. Guys, uh, thanks so much for listening. com is the website. And we'll catch you guys on the next podcast.
2: You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets,
0: your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement.